the time is now, the time is here. Now's the time for a bite of cheer. A tasty light where the price is right. Well, look at here, you'll dig this sight. The moment's handy for a piece of candy. Just name your brand, they're all so grand. Hey, what do you think of a nice cool drink? Or a big box filled with a popcorn thrill. Let your taste buds meet with an ice cream treat. Refresh yourselves, it's time to eat. So come on, folks, let's join the band as we all head for the refreshment. Good afternoon, dear listeners. You are tuned in to CJSR FM 88.5, and this is Moving Radio. I'm your host, Christian Zip, and join me, please, won't you, for the next one half hour as we take a look at local, Canadian, and independent cinema. Well, I've got some, uh, you know, some good news, and then we got uh, a bit of a fresh show today, but in some ways it might be leftovers, because there are two interviews I've already played before on this program, so if you're hardcore... You might have heard some of this already. They are from a festival that I attended earlier this year called South by Southwest in March. But it's two great films, and uh, and they're really, really good interviews. They're straight from the Q&As after the film's premieres at South by Southwest. Of course, I'm obviously looking forward to our film festival, which is going to be kicking off on Friday, September 27th. At the end of this month, It's the Edmonton International Film Festival. Of course, it's going to be amazing. We're going to have films just as good as South by Southwest. Just less celebrities, that's all, people. Anyways, the first interview I've got, well, the first Q&A session, I guess, is from a film called I Give It a Year. It's in limited release right now, so it might come here in a week or two, but if not, I'm sure you're going to be able to get it on VOD or digital release or Blu-ray very, very soon. At the Q&A, it was director Dan Mazur, who you may know from his films Borat or Bruno, and uh, he was with his star, Rose Byrne, she of Bridesmaids, and the upcoming Insidious Chapter 2. I Give It a Year is a film all about a couple who fell in love, but maybe realized they married a little too hastily. And now, here's a taste of the trailer from I Give It a Year. Fornication. I'll read that again. Fornication, like this. Nat's got it all. She's brilliantly clever, apparently really delivers in the bedroom. Like mother, like daughter, eh? So Nat and Josh. It's only been seven months, and some of you think that we're crazy for getting married. Yeah. I give it a year. Happy anniversary. What is it? I saw you looking at it online the other day. Two Asian lesbians and a man who looks like a fat Jesus. Something in our marriage hasn't quite... Joe, just cut your losses now before your life becomes about who put the King's Speech DVD back in the Sound of Music DVD case. Hi, everybody. I'm Rebecca Cuthman. I'm one of the programmers here, and I'm in media relations. I'm going to go ahead and bring back that down. Come on up, Dave. And Simon Baker, and there. They didn't, they didn't know what you were cheering the film, did they? No. No, okay, just. <laughs> uh, so I want to start out because I feel like I, I don't know the last time I actually saw a romantic comedy that celebrates divorce. Right. So <laughs> you can talk a little bit about the fact that this is actually sort of an anti-romantic comedy, but it, it, it still works. Tell us, tell us about it. Yeah, I mean, I sort of... I'm not sure it is a romantic comedy, to be honest. Um, I think it's like a comedy about relationships, really, and I think the term romantic comedy is slightly pejorative, and you sort of imagine, 
when you hear the words rom com that it's going to be a, a thing about a mismatched couple, like an, you know, an, uh, an Irish sheep farmer and a, a ditzy San Diego PR girl who, um, uh, against all the odds, uh, have to chase a dog around Venice that's swallowed an engagement ring and they've got two weeks to find the dog and then they possibly fall in love. Which isn't bad, right? Yeah, yeah, right. Okay, okay, good one. Um, you signed up, like here. Okay, good. Um, so uh, this is really more a sort of comedy about relationships than a, than a romantic comedy, I think. That's fair. Yeah. Well, I'll bring that to you, Any questions? Ready? Uh, thank you. It's a, it's a film I've never seen before, and uh, thought it would it would make a great topic. I, I hear so many. Uh, uh, and this is probably more a question for the writer uh, that I don't think is here. So many people say, well, we've been married for 75 years. Well, are you happy? Yeah. Well, it's not about that. Yeah. And uh, I think it's important that, the, that uh, uh, culture teaches us that happiness is important. And... Uh, and, and you guys really nailed it with that. Uh, Thank you. The performances were flawless, by the way, too. Thank you. How did you guys get involved with the project, Rose and Simon? 
Um, I met a man in a woolly sweater <laughs> in a hotel that's reputed to be a hotel where lots of people go to have affairs. I didn't know that until I met Dan. Uh, he was fun and warm and uh, we got on. And uh, <laughs> not like that. But, uh, and, you know, and there was a lot of fabulous people involved. But I, you know, I, I get I work in a show, a TV show, and I get a little break. Not that, you know, a decent break, and it was sort of a movie that kind of fit perfectly in that break where I didn't have an enormous responsibility, I could have a good time while I was doing it. And it was something that was, it was, it was probably one of the funniest scripts I'd read. <laughs> um, and I had, and I told Dan when I read it, I said, you probably got a third more jokes than you need. And he did cut out about it. Um, all, the, all the best ones. <laughs> all the really funny ones. Yeah, for the next movie, next year in South by Southwest. So, you know, and I, and I never worked on something that was like a full blown comedy with sort of really funny people. And um, it scared me enough to make me interested in doing it. Wow. Good. What about yours? Um, I met with Dan, yeah, probably, I don't know, the summer before we did it in London. And he had seen me and Bridesmaids and had thought I would be good to play it in that. So I was very spoiled. Usually jobs like this with a really great female lead in a you know, clever comedy is, that doesn't usually land on your desk that easily. So I was very spoiled. And how, at what point did you start writing this project and how long has it been in conception to the point that you approached Rose? I think it's all pretty quick actually. Um, I was making The Dictator uh, with Sasha at sort of the same time as I was trying to put this together. Um, yeah, and um, uh, uh, totally uh, uh, sorry about the dictator. Um, <laughs> <laughs> round of applause, nice. Um, So I started writing just before the dictator, was putting it together during the dictator, and then um, I suppose about a year and a half from you know uh, from starting writing to starting filming, something like that, which is incredibly quick in sort of filmmaking terms. So and, and working time in Studio Canal were very kind of supportive and brilliant in letting us do it and letting us you know giving us the money. <laughs> Absolutely, up there. Um, I remember being, uh, oh, in case people, shall I repeat the question, was there anything that prompted me to make this movie? Um, I remember being at a wedding um, of a, a quite a close friend of mine um, who was marrying a man who was like patently ill-suited uh, to her and his like groom speech, uh, the best thing he could say about her was uh, he found it adorable how difficult she found it to find her mobile phone. Um, and I thought, okay, this probably isn't a marriage for the ages. This isn't, you know, Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor in any sense. Um, and then I just thought, you know, this is interesting, you know, what happens to two people who aren't necessarily meant to be together? How How is their life going to, you know, pan out? Because it was the most beautiful kind of... Uh, glorious wedding, the kind of wedding that you would find at the end of, you know, the 
leap year or 27 dresses or one of those sorts of things. And I just thought that's an interesting, you know, jumping off point because they've had a whirlwind romance and the whole world could see that they weren't meant to be with each other. And I just thought, well, you know, it'd be interesting to see how that pans out. And uh, they were uh, divorced within six weeks. So that's the happy end to that story. My friend's misery is our joy. So that all worked out very well. Yeah. yeah. I think we've got time for one more question. Dan, if you could speak to this, and maybe Rose, perhaps you as well, having done the uh, competing BFF and Bridesmaid in, in American comedy, and then Dan, you as a British writer, uh, do you feel any difference or tension in, in what might be considered uh, consider traditionally British comedy versus what we in the U.S. tend to find funny here? I, I, I don't think, I mean, people have always said to me, uh, from, from the first Ali G days, that well, Ali G would never work in America, or Borat would never work, or Bruno would never work. And the truth is, I think, you know, if your jokes are good enough, then they sort of translate. I mean, definitely there are probably a couple of things in this that um, uh, would go down better in Britain than they do here, but it's, it's pretty minimal, and, um, you know, hopefully it, it you know, seems to play well tonight, so that's, you know, so that's lovely. But I think, ultimately, kind of... A dick of, joke is a dick joke, right? Exactly right, yes. <laughs> a nice penis is a nice penis, that's right. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> Oh, right. For Rafe's penis. He'll <laughs> be very pleased. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, uh, not the first time it's been laughed at. <laughs> 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 what is not here? Oh, that's not here. Australian humour. <laughs> Even lower. Yeah. yeah, it's nasty. Alright, well, thank you so much for coming here, Dan. All right, here's our second South by Southwest Q&A leftover. It's from the premiere I attended of a film called Snap. It's by tag team directors Yusuf Dallara and Victor Turan, and it stars Nikki Reed of Twilight fame. Could be the first time I've mentioned Twilight on this program ever, I think. Snap is a psychological thriller set in the world of a dubstep DJ, and please don't hold that against this film. It's actually pretty solid. So here's a taste of the trailer. From Snap. Four women and three men were found shot to death on their way. Just a few minutes for questions. If anyone has questions, I just have a quick one. Um, the tone of the film is very is very consistent uh, tone. Um, have the two of you, what was it like co-directing, and have you known each other a long time? Uh, I guess I'll take that. I, we've known each other for a long time. We've been working together in one way or another for about 10 years now. Uh, we started as PAs on a movie together a long time ago. Sandra Bullock movie. Sandra Bullock movie. Uh, very, uh, and, and then we you know, quickly started hatching plans to make our own movies. So uh, this is the first time that we've, we've co-directed, uh, you know, properly co-directed. And, and uh, I think all of that history and all of that... Uh, creative mind melding over three previous films, you know, just finally came together in this. Yeah. But it's like a family. We're dysfunctional in our own way, of course. <laughs> As these guys can attest, all of them, I'm sure. <laughs> a similar relationship that, uh, you know, to the alter ego and the main character. I'm Victor. Yeah, that, that did become a joke on the set a lot, and nobody could quite figure out who was the dark voice and who was the, uh, you know, the awkward uh, savant. Really? No one figured that. Really? 
Pedro wrote this pen, oh, so I guess, I guess only I thought that no one thought He's that it was me that wrote Dark Boys. He's the Dark Boys by far. Evidently, everyone Quite figured boring. it out. Okay. Does uh, anyone in the audience have any yeah. questions? Yeah. Uh, first of all, this was effing brilliant. Uh, just you can say fucking Fucking brilliant! For a lot of reasons, some of which all are, are personal, uh, but uh, for Nikki and Tommy, uh, amazing job. Did either of you do any research into mental illness and, and bring it into your role? Yes. Um, okay. <laughs> right, no, you, you were. <laughs> yes, I did. Jake and I actually um, teamed up and we did that together. It was, uh, you know, obviously something we wanted to handle, I guess, delicately. Uh, sounds strange finishing that movie and using the word delicately. Anyway, um, we, uh, I always felt, I felt like I was in a really, um, my approach was different, you know, especially just considering that we kind of had to hide that the entire film. And so for me, I felt like I actually had a more difficult <laughs> job ahead of me because I didn't know how to approach that. Um, and also, I we obviously want to make this really clear. Um, you know, there's no relation to schizophrenia and violence, and so that was a totally that was also a, a, you know something we wanted to be really. Specific. I mean, well done getting that message, Allison. <laughs> well done. Yeah, but most most schizophrenia. I, mean, I don't see how anybody would ever get the impression that you thought there was a connection between violence and schizophrenia. Or death. There you go. <laughs> or death. Thanks. Death. But yeah, most. I mean. The, the, <laughs> yeah, I mean most schizophrenic. I mean, odd, you know, are, don't become violent. You know, so, but this was a this was a a look at. I think the. The origination of the project when Victor wrote it and sort of like talked to me about it, it was it was like, well, what goes into the mind of the person who does this horrific act? You know, like we we hear of this stuff and it kind of comes and it goes and it's become a part of our social fabric. But like, what you know, to that person in that person's mind, everything is very logical. Everything makes sense. Their actions have have a reason. So we wanted to explore that. I mean. Good or bad, we just wanted to go to that ugly place just to challenge ourselves and sort of look inside that space. Hey, just to address also, Abby, you know, you, you're obviously you have a point of view on it, and I think that the, um, you know, for us, one of the frustrating things is that one of the frustrating things about mental illness, it, we acknowledge first of all, and and from the very beginning that no, the mental illness it's not an A to B. People with mental illness don't by necessity become violent. I mean, obviously the vast, vast majority of people with mental illness don't act out in any kind of violent way. Uh, the problem, and this is part of what we were trying to explore, is that you can't predict which of the very tiny fraction of them who might, you can't predict really which of them might become violent. And that's a real frustrating problem for society as a whole, is that you can't do anything really. You can try and look out for warning signals. I mean, you, you know, the, we, we took a very stylized approach to, to the issue, obviously, uh, in the film, in the, in the filmmaking, but um, that was kind of the point, is that you, know, you, you can see signs, but how can you intervene before something serious happens? And that was really, that was, that was kind of what we were getting at. Yeah. Uh, 
Not that, not that people with mental illness are violent. avoided it because um, I knew at the time that we shot it that, that Nikki and Jake took great pains and great time to go to, to facilities and psychiatric wards and we spoke with all kinds of people that suffered from different variations of these issues and they had such respect for it, for it. I'm sorry that Jake can't be here tonight but, but you both were very passionate about um, the, the truth of these people and why I, why I sort of avoided the answer was because I didn't research it because I felt that my job was was not to understand uh, the psych the psychology of it. It was to be a to be a villain. So I, I you know and especially when we shot it originally, I think we wanted it to be more of a twist that I was the voice in his head. I think by this finished cut, we all agreed that it's better to just kind of figure that out from the beginning and and delve into the mind of of Jake uh, Jake's character with that. Um, so I didn't really, I didn't do much research. I just, we spent a lot of time though discussing the moments where, uh, as the voice in his mind, where I was angry, where I was kind, where I was violent, where I was actually sweet to him. We really didn't, we wanted to avoid him being one screaming voice the entire movie. And that was really all I cared about, was to try and find a kind of an ebb and flow in him. To, to, It's in the script, so. Thank you. Jim. Jim. Hey, last, is this the last question or what am I having? Two quick ones. Can you talk to us about how you cast this film? How Yeah, oh, well, you know, we, we finished the script, and I think well, you had a connection with your management company, brought, I mean, told us about Jake Hoffman. And he read the script, and he was he was the first person we brought on board. And when he came in to meet with us, he kind of was in character, so he kind of like duped us a little bit because we'd never met him before, and he showed up like kind of like damaged, like, uh, like that guy. Really and we're like, what was that? And then when he left, like after fifteen minutes, like within two minutes, we knew he was the guy that we wanted because he had the perfect level of like weirdness and charisma that we thought was the character. But then after about like 15 minutes when we left, we kind of looked at each other and like, is it, was he, was he like duping us? Like, is that really him? Is he really damaged? Like, we never quite figured it out, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and yeah, and then we started, uh, we started thinking about our Wendy. We knew we had to get that first and then find, uh, you know, his perfect counterpoint. And um, Nikki's agent had read the script and we really, we thought Nikki was amazing and, but somehow we had worked with her agent before on a different movie and so uh, we, we just said, can you read this for her? Uh, and how incredible we, is she? I'm sorry. She's amazing. Yeah. Uh, we, uh, Woo! Yeah, we, we were just grateful that she read the script. She was super busy at the time and um, I don't know what happened when you read the script. My agent's like, oh, super busy, they're trying to make me yeah. sound cool. I was That's like, what they always do to us. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know how to comment on that. 
my side of that. I, I, I read the script and I loved it and I called immediately. I think it was like 9 o'clock at night. I called my agent and said, is it inappropriate to, to reach out to them now? Like, right now and tell them I, I want to do this? And they're still awake, I'm sure. They waited seven days to get back to us then. Because <laughs> that's what they do. Yeah, they play yeah. hard to get. So. Nick was awesome in that she was like, I'm in, you know, and that, and that just says a lot about her conviction to the part, just in general. And she was just in. And with Jake and, and with Jake Hoffman and Nikki on board, we're like, okay, we have sort of the ammunition we need to sort of like make the rest of the movie happen. And that's when I think, how do we get to Mimi? To Tom, what, what, Thomas is. I don't know. We looked at Thomas and looked at Thomas had uh, Thomas has quite an interesting body of work, and it's all uh, definitely offbeat, to say the least. And when we saw him, we were just like, I don't. Know. I mean, we knew that obviously we, we knew that we needed somebody pretty mentally deranged, and so we looked at uh, we you. looked at his body of work and thought that we would be grateful to have you know a guy like this. And you know, same thing. We just sort of you know. The script was sent to me while I was still living in Canada, filming a CW series about teenage vampires. Witches. Or witches. I've already forgotten. <laughs> Sorry, that was a joke. Um, and I got the script, and the first page of dialogue, I said, fuck that fucking cunt, grow some balls, you piece of shit. And I just felt so liberated <laughs> reading that on set. And I came back and had coffee with these two and left at the opportunity. So there you go. We knew it would take someone special to get it. I mean, that was the thing. We knew, and uh, and he did. And it was not the easiest movie to get made, obviously, because it's some pretty you know sensitive material. Um, so we just to say this before I'm sure we're, we need to wrap it up soon is that we are profoundly grateful to all the people up here and to all the people who didn't come up. Who are, you know, Kevin Smith is out there somewhere. Uh, my Julio Grand, my both my parents are out there. Um, who else is here, Amir? That there, it took a bunch of people to get let's, let's not forget uh, Jenna Pearson, Jared Neese, South by Southwest I mean, this is like the perfect venue for this type of film um, with the music and just with the energy of it so it was just What do you think? Yeah, we, always, we like to ask our audiences what they thought Who's in the grave? Anybody, yell it out Yell it out Dare you? <laughs> I think somebody else got it up there. Yeah, the voice in his head. It was it was Tom's body. He Tom. killed him with the uh, wrench there. The, as a yeah. little kid, yeah. and the mom buried him. What about the gun? Where did you get the idea for the air pistol? Oh, that, it's, the question up in the front was where did we get the idea for the air pistol? And honestly, the, you know, we just thought it would be fucked up to be honest with you. <laughs> to, uh, for him to, to use a toy, essentially, to, you know, it, it was much later that we realized, God, are we making some weird, like, pro-gun statement? We, and we weren't at all. It was just something that, you know, we didn't want it to be about guns or not guns or anything like that. That wasn't the point of the movie. It just, it, it felt like just something that, that you wouldn't expect, necessarily, and that people who, who want to kill just figure out a way to do it. So, uh, just eight seconds. I just want to have Reza talk about the music, because it was so important. But also... And but real quick, thank you so much to uh, our sales reps, XYZ Films, and Strategy PR who busted this thing out. Thank you so much for that. And for, um, 
and Rob for my arrangements. Thank you. So, Reza Sapinia, uh, the music was wonderful in this film. How did you come up with the soundscape of the film that was so critical to the experience? Well, I had two uh, directors who were very inspiring in their insanity and. Uh, no, not really. No, uh, basically, we, we all met uh, very early on this project. You sent me the script a long time ago, and we spoke about what the soundscape of the film was going to be for two years before the film was even made. And um, so we, we collaborated between the three of us to really have a discussion about where the film was going. And then, um, and then we had three weeks to actually do the music. <laughs> So it was just a very automatic downloading process. I didn't think too hard about it because uh, there wasn't really that much opportunity to think. So it was a very visceral reaction to what I was seeing. Unfortunately, we have to wrap, wrap it up. Thanks for listening to today's program of Moving Radio of South by Southwest Leftovers. Hopefully it was something fresh and new for you and interesting. Uh, Seek out I Give It a Year and hopefully soon we'll be able to see Snap. But I'd like to remind you as well that the Edmonton International Film Festival is going to be kicking off on Friday, September 27th. That's right, it's this month, people less than a month away at this point now. It should be very exciting. For the next three weeks on this program, we'll be on weekly and you'll be able to hear interviews with directors, stars, producers from the Edmonton International Film Festival from films featured in it, obviously. And if you want to know more, you should go to edmontonfilmfest.com. They've got a really good section of the films that have already been scheduled up online there, so you can check and see what you might be missing if you don't get yourself a full week's pass or a six-pack, which you can pick up at the office or online at edmontonfilmfest.com. As well, if you want to get a hold of me or you want to follow me on Twitter, you can do that. Um, it's at Moving Radio. We, I also have an Instagram account you can check out. That's at Moving Radio as well. And of course, you may be listening to this already on iTunes because it's a free podcast. So if you missed any previous episodes, you can always check them out on iTunes as well. But coming up next on CGSR, it's the finest half an hour of feminist radio this city has to offer. 